Today we're going to continue in the series we started called Alive. Alive. How many know that we are alive? And uh, what we're doing in this series is, uh, in part, we're crying out for God to just revive us, revive our hearts. You know, often when you uh, church people, um, when we hear this word revival, some things come to mind. I know some things come to my mind. When I hear the word revival, I think of late night church services, Al. I think of, you know, old tent meetings, you know, and uh, and it was it, those type of things were great. And, uh, uh, you know, I wish kind of wish we had some of those things even again. Uh, but that's, but that's the, the, the limitation of what I think of when I think of revival is just, you know, coming together in church, uh, you know, praising the Lord through song and somebody preaching a great word, a lot of people getting saved, people getting healed and then going home. But revival is more than that. It is that, but it's more than that because that's an event. You see, when God revives us, he revives us for life. We have to get to the point saints, brothers and sisters, where we're not always asking God every week for a, a revival. We're not, we're not always asking. I know we're human beings and we, we fall short and we get down and we get discouraged and we get disappointed and we offend each other and all of those things happened. And so I'm not saying it's a sin to go back to the Lord and ask for a revival, but I'm just saying that God is a God who wants to equip us he wants to equip us, let us know that we have the faith to overcome. We have the words of life in our mouth. We say life and death is in the power of the tongue, but do we live it? It's one thing to say it, but it's another thing to believe what we're saying. And, and life and death certainly is in the power of God's tongue, but guess what? That's not who that scripture was talking to. That scripture was talking to you and me. Life and death is in the power of our tongue if we have God's word in us. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're asking God, revive our worship, Lord. Revive our worship because, you see, in the presence of God, in the presence of the Lord, is the fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures evermore. David found this out. And so there's no need for us to seek for pleasures and all of those things in our 401k and in our job and in our spouse and in all of those things. We are validated already. When two people come together, this is not a marriage message, but when two people come together to get married, we have to realize that they should already be validated, right? They should already feel validated, all right? In a perfect Christian world, I would say, uh, they should already know the Lord and come together 100% and 100%, all right? And God wants to get us to that place where we're not looking for other people to validate us, and we're not looking for our bank account to validate us, we're not looking for our job or our car or our clothes or whatever it may be to validate us. God says, you are valuable, you are validated, you, I, I love you. I accept you. We, all we have to do is accept that from him. And we can have the confidence to walk the way he wants us to walk. So our prayer is Psalm 85, 6. Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? And we pray that the spirit will revive our spiritual passions. When I look back at Israel, I, I see that there were 19 kings in Israel, but there were only eight who really were responders to God. And we want to be that way. We want to be responders to God. 
We want to be responders. You see, when we worship God, often we feel like uh, I'm going to make a decision. You know, we even sing a song, I have decided to follow Jesus. We feel like we're making a decision to come and to worship God. We're making a decision to lift our hands. It's all up to me. But what we're really doing, we're making that decision, but we're making that decision based on a response. You see, the whole time God was already wooing you. God was already speaking to you. When you were taking your dinner, when you were at the mall shopping, when you were going through school, when you were sitting in class, when you were working on your job, when you were frustrated, when you were arguing with your husband, when you were doing all of those things, God was speaking to you and wooing you unto him the whole time. And finally, one moment, you said, hey, God is speaking to me. I'm going to worship. And you're responding to God. We want to be responders to the Lord. One such responder was King Hezekiah. We're going to go over to 2 Chronicles chapter 29. But King Hezekiah, King Hezekiah was a responder. He, he served as king for probably maybe 29 years. And uh, he was a great, great grandfather of, of Zephaniah, the prophet. And uh, he was a great king because he responded. He responded to God. That's what we want to do. Here's what the Bible says about him in 2 Chronicles chapter 29, beginning at verse 25. It says, and he stationed, talking about King Hezekiah, he stationed the Levites in the house of the Lord with cymbals and stringed instruments, with harps. According to the commandment of David, of Gad, who was the king's seer, and of Nathan the prophet. For thus was the commandment of the Lord by his prophets. The Levites stood with the instruments of David and the priests with the trumpets. Then Hezekiah commanded them to offer the burnt offerings on the altar. And when the burnt offerings began, the song of the Lord also began. With the trumpets and with the instruments of David, king of Israel. So all the assembly worshiped, the singers sang, the trumpeters sounded. All this continued until the burnt offering was finished. Now let me tell you, in that short passage, in those four verses, there's a whole message series. There, there's too much to even talk about this morning. It looks like just a few sentences, but there is a lot in there that we can take that God can reveal to us. But you have to look at what Hezekiah did in his response to God. You know, he opened the doors to the house of God. The doors to the house of God were opened. In other words, no one was turned away, no matter what. No matter what kind of a sinner they were, no matter what sin they committed, no matter how they looked, the doors of the house of God are open to those who would conform to God's ways. Open. He opened the doors. He repaired the house of God. He fixed it up. He cleaned the house of God of all of the rubbish, of all of the trash, kind of like what Jesus did later. Before we amen this, let me get to the end of this. He restored the Levites to the house of God. That means he restored the priests. He restored the praise to the house of God. He restored true worship to the house of God. Now, let me throw a scripture at you because certainly we are here in what we call church, in a church building made of wood, hay, stubble, concrete. And we would certainly call it the house of God. But let me remind you of a scripture uh, that says, Know ye not that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. 
you are the temple of the Holy Ghost. Do you not know that you are the house of God? You, your flesh, this is the house of God. So now let's look at what Hezekiah did one more time in, uh, in, in light of this new information that this is the house of God. He opened the doors to the house of God. He didn't close people off. He didn't build a wall. He didn't say, I'm offended, so I'm not talking to anyone anymore in life. He didn't do that. Hard to do. He repaired the house of God. He cleaned the house of God of all the rubbish. What are you taking in? What are you watching? What are you allowing? What are you hearing? What are you saying? These gates. <laughs> what, are you, what are you doing? He cleaned the house of God of all this rubbish. He restored the Levites. That means he restored praise to the house of God. And that praise was not based on circumstances. It was not based on coronavirus. It was not based on politics. It was not based on the economy. It was not based on my boss at work. It was not based on the attitude of my husband. It was not based on what's going on around me. He restored praise to the house of God. Restored praise, and he restored true worship to the house of God. Now, if we want to be a responder like Hezekiah, I would stay instead of looking at the life church, instead of looking at other churches and criticizing them, because they sure, certainly have many shortcomings. We know that. Why? Because church is led by a perfect God, but it's full of imperfect people. We know that. And before we criticize church, we need to look in the mirror at the house of God. And we need to open the doors to the house of God. We need to repair the house of God. We need to clean the house of God. See, if we clean this house, this house will be clean. If, we, if, we, if we're able to clean this house, the universal church will be all right. We always want somebody else to fix it. I can't believe the way those church people are. They don't care about the community. They always look down their noses. Guess what? You are a church person. Let's look in the mirror and clean this up first. And you look at this scripture about what Hezekiah did. And it's interesting to me that Hezekiah equipped everyone with everything they needed. He equipped them with cymbals. He equipped them with string instruments, harps, according to the, the command of David. He, he, he brought the Levites in. He restored the praise. He, he, he gave them trumpets and everything that they needed. Oh, but then he commanded that their, the offering be burned, that there be a burnt offering. I'm here to tell you that before we praise God, there are some offerings that we need to offer up. There are some things you want to you want to clean out the house of God. There are some things in this house that we need to offer as a burnt offering. There are some attitudes, some thoughts, some ways, some sins. Come on. There, there, are, there, are, there are some things about this that we need to offer as a burnt offering. Because if you look at the verse here, it says the assembly worshiped, the singers sang and the trumpeters sounded. And this continued until the burnt offering was finished. See, we say, I, I am crucified with Christ. How many have ever heard that? Galatians 2.20, come on, Brother James. I am crucified with Christ. Guess what? Crucified means dying. Dying. We don't, we don't feel sorry for that flesh man up there on the cross. Let that flesh man die. Let him die. Let him die. That's how we clean the house of God. That's how we're able to truly respond to God. 
Psalm 142, 141, 2 says, May you accept my prayer like incense, my uplifted hands like the evening offering. See, we're going to have to give an offering to God. We have to give him an offering. And you may think, well, what is it that I can offer God? What is it that I can give him? And here's something that I want to give to you today. When we talk about worship, there's a lot of things we could talk about once we clean this house, once we, once we restore praise to this house. There's a lot of things that we could talk about, but I want to focus on one thing. And it, and it's some, and it's, it's, it's one thing that, uh, in my, in, in, in my life, uh, in talking to some people, it's kind of been a point of controversy. Some of you would say, how could this be controversy? But I'm telling you, there are some people that just don't want to do it. And that is the lifting of your hands. And I understand it. I'm not, listen, don't be offended. Don't be offended. But I, I can only preach what the Bible says. Okay, I can, I, I don't want to offend you, but I can, I can only preach what the Bible says. That's all I can do. That's all I can do. Uh, because it says, may my prayer be set before you like incense. May the lifting up of my hands, may the lifting up of my hands be like the evening sacrifice. Let me tell you why this one aspect, this is not all of worship, but let me tell you why this one aspect of worship is so significant and so important. Why is it so significant and so important? Because the lifting up of hands, it signifies surrender. What does a police officer do when he comes in, when she comes in? Hands up. Put your hands up. Why? Because then I know you surrender. I know you give up. Well, God is here today. Don't compare him to, uh, you know, police officers or the military, but he's here today saying, put your hands up. But he doesn't have a gun. He's going to shoot you and kill you. He has something that's going to restore life to you. What, what, what God is going to shoot you with is a love that you have never experienced before in your life. If you would put your hands up. If you would put your hands up and say, Lord, I surrender. He is going to infuse you with power from on high. The Holy Spirit power that, that, that raised Christ from the dead. The Holy Spirit power that split the Red Sea. That same power. If you would say, I surrender. If you would say, I surrender. God is going to infuse you with that same power. But he's asking you, put your hands up. Put your hands up. See, back in Nehemiah chapter 8, the Bible says, Ezra opened the book of the law in the sight of all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. They had a respect for the law. Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. Then all the people answered, amen, amen, while lifting their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. You know, growing up in church, I am a person who is, is, is used to, uh, different kinds of church services. And one of the things that, uh, when I was very young, I used to laugh at is, uh, you know, the preacher, you know, would come in and I mean, he'd get going and he'd, he'd start yelling and screaming and then he'd just start yelling at us, telling us, you know, we need to praise the Lord. And he'd give us all kinds of commands about lift up your hand and, you know, do this and do that. And me and my, of course, I was really small. I was really little, but, you know, we just used to laugh because I thought, I thought he was about to have a heart attack, you know, and, uh, you know, just trying to implore us to do all of these things. One of the things that I see here in the Bible with Hezekiah and also with Ezra is that Ezra never yelled at the people and told them to do anything. You know what the people did? You know what the people did as an example? They blessed the Lord. It says Ezra opened the book and then he blessed the Lord. 
You want everybody else to bless the Lord? You want everybody else to act right? You bless the Lord. You act right. You be the example. This is, this is what I get from Ezra. This is what I get from Hezekiah. Is that, yeah, they provided everything. I gave you all the instruments. I give you everything that you need. And guess what? Now, I'm going to bless the Lord. This is how you do it. That's right. Montel Jordan, as some of you may know, got that from uh, Ezra. This is how we do it. This is how we do it. Come on. He said, I'm going to bless the Lord. I'm going to lift my hands. I'm going to be the example. I'm going to be the one to show you what we need to do. Instead of yelling at you and imploring you to do the thing, I'm going to do the thing. We all need to look in the mirror. That's what this message is about. If we want true worship, it starts with us and it starts with our heart. Priestly worship builds a bridge. Worship builds a bridge for God's presence to touch the unsaved. And I know we pray and we pray so hard and we intercede. You know, we do all of those things and we tarry. But God gives us the answer here and he says, worship, come and worship me and I will do the work. I will do the work. Nothing wrong with praying for your loved ones to get saved or to get healed or to the prodigals to come back. We absolutely need that. That's why we pray here. But if we would follow what the word says, Jesus said, if I be lifted up, if you concentrate on me, you're concentrating on everyone else. And I get it. I get it. They take our attention. But Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I, not you, I will draw all men unto me. It's important that we lift up Jesus and the significance of lifting up our hands. What does lifting up your hands mean? Lifting means to raise from a lower to a higher position, to take out of a normal setting, even to take up, even from the ground, to lift up, to lift up. It's symbolic of what we're, uh, how we're, how we're uh, uh, worshiping God. It's very symbolic. Lifting up of our hands is necessary. Why? Because number one, lifting our hands is expressing our worship to God and declaring God's goodness. That's what it's doing. That's the significance of it. Lifting up of your hands is a spiritual weapon and it brings victory. Lifting your hands brings victory. You, 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 because you're used to what I said earlier, used to the police, I, I surrender, used to the military, whatever it might be, I surrender and, and I give up, I'm defeated. No, not in this scenario. Lifting of your hands brings victory. It brings victory. Why? Because God says, give it to me. I, I already have the victory. If you would just acknowledge that, it would be revealed to you, the victory that I have. It brings victory. It's a spiritual weapon. Lifting of our hands is reaffirming of our commitment to God. Lord, I give it to you. How hard is it for us to let go and let God? How easy is it for us to say it, but how hard is it for us to do? How hard is it? It's easy to complain. It's easy to talk about our circumstances. And there are times when we need to get things off of our chest. I get it. We don't want to bottle up. I understand stress and anxiety. God does not want you to have that. But God, but Jesus said, come to me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. I am the only one who can give you rest because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come to me. You have a lot on your shoulders. There's a lot that you have been through. But this morning, Jesus is saying, come to me, surrender, lift up your hands. 
You know, when a witness takes a stand in a courtroom, they place one hand on the Bible and they lift the other hand and they swear an oath to tell the truth. By raising their hand, the witness pledges that their testimony will be accurate. This action lends credence to the person's testimony. You know, it's almost as if God is here right now and he raises his hand and he is saying, I promise to love you always. I promise to bless you always. He obligates himself to his people publicly and on record. And then we reaffirm that covenant when we lift our hands in worship. With raised hands, we declare our commitment to God openly, bluntly, and without shame. And we place all horizontal relationships in a secondary position. The lifting of our hands avows obedience. It shows a willingness and a readiness to obey God's will. And when we do that, we overcome. We overcome. We have to realize that. You know, some of us may feel like, listen, I've, I've tried all the things that you're talking about. You know, I've, I've surrendered. I've, I've, I've gone to church. I've done all of those things, and it doesn't seem like anything changes because the world beats you down. And I want to tell you something this morning, that God is a God that specializes in broken people. He specializes in people who have been offended. He specializes in people who have failed. He specializes in people who have dug themselves into a pit. He has given us power to overcome everything that the world has thrown against us. He has given us power to overcome everything that the devil has thrown against us. He's given us power to overcome everything that we've done to ourselves. He's given us the power through his word and through his spirit. But he's also given us a choice. He's given us a choice. It's up to you and I to respond. The choice is the response to God. The choice is the response. The choice is not to worship. The choice is to respond with your worship. The choice is not to create or to heal, but the choice is to respond to God with healing and creating and overcoming. God's already given it to us. We don't have to make up anything. He's, 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 he's laid it all out for us in his word. All we have to do is regurgitate his word. He's given it to us. And it's not magic. His word is not magic. But it is powerful. It's more powerful than a two-edged sword. And I don't care what you're going through. I don't care how you've been offended. I don't care how you've offended others. I don't care what debt you're in. I don't care the sin that you committed, how great it is. I don't care how much you've been beaten up. I don't care how broken you are. There is nowhere that you are that God cannot reach you, that God cannot touch you, that the word of God that he's given you, if you would speak it and believe it, if you would confess it, if you would believe it in your heart and confess it with your mouth, there is no place that is too far for you to overcome and get to where God wants you to be. There is no place. 
He specializes in broken people. He loves broken people. He loves people who have messed up. He loves prodigals. He loves sinners. Jesus, he, he doesn't just love sinners. He said, that's the whole reason I came. I came to save the lost. That's why I came. If you got it all together and you've never sinned and there's nothing wrong in your life, then I don't hate to tell you this, but he didn't come for you. You must already have it. But if you stubbed your toe, if you, if you, if you dogged somebody out, if you did some things you weren't supposed to do, if you find yourself in a place that you would say, I don't know how I got here. I don't know how I got here. I don't understand why I do the things I do. I don't understand why I said that thing. I don't understand why people treat me the way that they treat me. I don't understand how I got dealt the hand that I'm dealt. Why am I this way? Why did God make me thus? <laughs> if you find yourself in that place, you are the reason Jesus came. You are the reason he came. So whatever you're going through, whatever it may be in your life, he is here this morning to turn it around. If you would surrender, all he's asking you to do is surrender and speak his word.